Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello, and a very warm welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's number one favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield, and I'll be your host for all of tonight's wacky entertainment. And with me in the studio tonight is Sergeant Wacky himself, Tony Kerr. Oh, it's getting worse. <laughs> well, you say that, I've actually had a last-minute script change there. Right, I was okay. going to say for all of tonight's ladding around with Lance Corporal Ladd. Oh, no. I, thought, I thought you wouldn't appreciate that, so, so I quickly oh, changed it. Thanks. But presumably that was going to, when you run out of ideas, Lance Corporal Ladd will come out. I ran out of ideas quite a long time ago, <laughs> as I think you we'll could attest. That. Can we actually, can you bleep the word lad from now on, <laughs> in whenever we use it? How's it going this week, Tone? It's going remarkably well. You're on the Red Bull again, oh, I am, yeah. Well, I've kind of got addicted to it. Adrenaline and Red Bull. There's more Red Bull than blood in your veins, I think, <laughs> the amount you've been drinking it this week. Uh, no, it's going really well. What day are we now? Tuesday. That's right. Oh, no, I had a ridiculous week at work. Seven earlies in a row, so seven... 4.45 starts in a row and a, like a kind of normal social life as well <laughs> not easy but pulled it off your, rock, your rock star lifestyle <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd describe that as normal well we've had another one of these ashes this week as well haven't we and uh, England have won them what a game at Durham were you glued to the screen last night as Stuart Broad was tearing through Australia I was glued predominantly to the screen uh, I was saying before though I had to switch aside for uh, Christina Hurigu because that was good wasn't it as well uh, but we're not here to talk about that, Mate, unfortunately. That's the, our other podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, what a final day. Perfect final day, really, in many ways. And we'll go into the reasons for that, I'm sure, in more detail. Well, we'll be talking about those ashes in great depth, I'm sure, on, on our award-winning item, Ashes. But I've actually just come straight from cricket here tonight, Tone. Yeah, you got the uh, old Tigers logo on your breast. Never mind the ashes. There's, a, there's much more important cricket going on, and it's a KG5 playing field in Guernsey. Long-time listeners, of course, know that, that me and Tony play for a team in the Guernsey Evening League Division 2 called Kobo Legends. Uh, you were down on the team sheet to play tonight as well, Tony, but you bailed. Well, no, yeah, I had a sudden late shift change. And by late, I mean I just didn't notify the captain. <laughs> it wasn't that late, was it? No, I knew last week, but I forgot. <laughs> but what I'd done is i drafted in. You knew in. when you told him you could play. That no, you no, no, play. I didn't know quite that early, but I drafted in a replacement already, so... Uh, my back was covered. I think we've only played one game of cricket together this season. I know. But, hey, you won tonight, I take it? Well, it was a it was a very uh, important game because, uh, like, it's getting to crunch time in the season now, isn't it? It's business end of the season. Well, yeah, what what happened is we... So I think, what, what are we now? We're, like, second or third bottom? 
Uh, we're currently second bottom. But we were in jeopardy, but we, it was two games, wasn't it? Back to back against the bottom team. Uh, I played the one on Thursday and we won very comfortably. And I was worried that with you coming in to replace me for this one, that you know, maybe it might all go wrong. Well, but... it's a real basement battle. I think, you know, <laughs> if we won tonight, we'd stay up. And so it's a really important game. So they thought, right, we need to send an SOS to, to our leading wicket taker, get Bayfield back out. He's not played for a few weeks, but wheel him out there just for the, the key fixture of the season. I turned up, a little bit late, but I turned up, uh, didn't bowl, <laughs> didn't get a bowl. So late. you've got to, you've got to question why they even brought me back, I suppose. What did you do? Um, I fielded at fine leg <laughs> and long off, uh, and the ball came my way twice. Uh, once I misfielded, uh, and I didn't get a bat. And we, we chased down a target of 92 very comfortably. Yeah, we walloped them as well the other night. And uh, I actually took... Uh, I had two catching opportunities whilst I was in the field. I also didn't get to bat, but we only lost, I think, one wicket in the chase the other night. Uh, but yeah, two really high catches, both of which I misjudged brutally. Uh, the first one, though, I realised I was way out of position as it was falling, and I dived full length, caught it one-handed, and it looked like an amazing catch. Wow, Genius, nice. and people went mental. Uh, and then the second one, I was like, you know, I thought I was, I'd got my eye and then came up <laughs> and I absolutely bellowed, just Tony's, <laughs> uh, and ran, basically ran under it and went over my head and I got a fingertip to it uh, right in front of the pavilion in which was sitting uh, the club chairman and Guernsey, kind of head of Guernsey cricket, <laughs> big Dave Nussbaumer, and uh, a couple of other kind of dignitaries from the club. It's quite an embarrassing moment. You probably thought you you were on to play for Guernsey after that <laughs> yeah. first catch. Big Dave Nussbaum was thinking, oh, who's this Who's this yeah. guy? We need to get him out there. He's an athletic fielder. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, we won both games and we're looking pretty safe now. I think we have officially stayed up now. There's only one game left in the season. Are you going to play it? When is it? Uh, next Tuesday. No, I'm in Manchester. Okay, well, there you go. That's, <laughs> me and you just never play cricket <laughs> never... together anymore. Only one of us can play. That's a bit sad, isn't it? So how's your... I'm going to ask you, how's your weekend been? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, mate. This is a bit weird. You don't normally ask me this question. I don't really sure. know what to say. Just switch it around. Have you heard about this meteor shower? It's been happening. Yeah, I, I took to Facebook last night uh, in a kind of, you know, just a kind of like WTF moment. You know, it's a meteor shower that comes once a year, has been observed for thousands of years, isn't it? What's it called? called the yeah. meteor shower. Uh, yeah, it's cool, right? Uh, but what, like, why was everyone suddenly like dropping their bundle over it this year? As if it was like, it's just arrived. You, can you explain that? Well, I don't know. I mean, you... I mean, there were dozens of people on Facebook all night going like, wow. Meet like shooting star. No, they were like that. Cool. That was my newsfeed. Was people just yeah. talking about a shooting game? star? So, it's quite funny, though, isn't it? Because all these people are like, "Wow, I've seen a shooting star!" Like, absolutely beautiful evening out here. I'm seeing so many shooting stars. I'm just sat there on my laptop at home. Like, come on, <laughs> get over it. <laughs> yeah, it's like watching so real like romantic moments going on out there, and I'm uh, on the sofa. But yeah, we used to go when we well, used to you, go camping. You, you, as, as, sorry, as, when we used to go camping as youngsters. Uh, you know, wild nights. We used to have like lying, you know, a few of us lying outside in Suck, the island of Suck, watching the shooting stars, didn't we? I'm over them now. It was great, sure. But now, you know. That is amazing. Cool. It is amazing. I saw a couple last night and it was great. I mean, your, your Facebook status was borderline angry <laughs> with everyone. Why is everyone losing their shit over the Perseids this year? Says Tony Kerr. <laughs> no likes. No likes. Didn't need any likes. <laughs> I'm not, I don't live for likes, baby. You do live for likes. I don't live for likes. Why have you got that T-shirt that says li- <laughs> li- living for likes? You're wearing it now. 
Okay, yeah. Well, likes are the lifeblood of the modern society, aren't they? You know, that's the currency. Do you remember when we were inside that time and it was about three in the morning, we were lying outside the tent and there was like six or seven of us just like bantering off, ladding around, just a lot of, la- just a lot of ladding going on. <laughs> we were being very loud and this woman came over and was like, do you know what my favourite thing is at four in the morning? We were expecting it to go like, listening to you idiots, chatting on. But she actually went, do you know what my favourite thing is at four in the morning? I really like looking at Andromeda, which actually if you just look over at this <laughs> part of the sky, you might be able to see the Andromeda galaxy out there. We were like, oh, what a nice lady. Yeah, she's lovely. Never forgotten her. <laughs> <laughs> she's probably listening now. Adam, I wanted to know whether uh, my beard might create uh, as much interest as Paxman's beard. Have you heard about this? I actually thought to myself when I walked in tonight, because you were already here, I thought, wow, that's a beard. Because you've got quite a full beard at the moment. Well, I'm going to shave it off tomorrow morning, because now Paxman's basically stolen my thunder. So first you need to explain who Jeremy Paxman is for our overseas listeners. Okay, so uh, if you're not aware of Jeremy Paxman, he is kind of Britain's or the BBC's premier like bad cop interviewer. You're just like, he's mean isn't he and he is brilliant he's hilarious he's just completely annoyed constantly with everything he just relentlessly pushes politicians yeah. and tries we'll, to get we'll post to a, link. a straight answer because you, you have days of fun watching Paxman uh but yeah so basically he grew he's got this beard at the moment which uh, did he reveal last night for the first time because that seemed to be when it all kicked off uh so he presents like the evening the BBC's like news program in the evening flagship news program news night yeah uh and he popped up last night with a beard and I've been rocking this beard for about 10 days. You know, it's, it's come on nicely. Uh, and then suddenly, all over Twitter, everyone's like, again, even probably more so than the Perseids, or whatever they're called, uh, losing their <laughs> over Paxman's beard. So, like, this morning on the radio, there was, like, they had people on talking about, is it acceptable to have a beard, to be a broadcaster with a beard? People are going to think of you as, like, a fair-weather beard fan. <laughs> though, because, like... You know, like when, when Manchester City got bought by, you know, the Sheikhs and suddenly everyone's wearing Manchester City shirts, they all come out the, come out the wardrobe. People are going to think that about you. It's like, oh, now Paxman's got a beard. <laughs> Just trying to be the next Paxman. I would ask, though, that you wipe some of the, uh, like, chicken wings and stuff <laughs> off before you come to the podcast because it's a little bit distracting. Okay. Just that, all that ketchup. Ashes. England, Tone. England have won the Ashes. Let the celebrations begin. It's time to play the music. It's time to light the lights. It's time to meet the Muppets because England (laughs) have won the Ashes. They went 3-0 up in the series with a thrilling victory on the fourth evening of a quite magnificent test match at Chester Street. Do you want me to run through the scorecard for you in case you're not aware of what happened? Uh, England won the toss, chose the bat first, got off to a very fine start when they were 149 for two, a half century for Alistair Cook, but then they collapsed. Australia's bowlers really putting the squeeze on them. Nathan Lyon taking 4 for 42 and England were all out for 238. In response, Australia were in trouble at 12 for 2 but recovered well through a brilliant 100 from Chris Rogers. He made 110. Shane Watson got 68 as well. But England fought back well on the third morning to take the last five wickets for just 50 or so runs and Australia were all out for 270. Stuart Broad took 5 for 71. England were then again in trouble when they lost their top three cheaply. They were 49 for three, but another sensational century from Ian Bell, 113. Uh, well supported on the fourth morning uh, by some great hitting from Tim Bresnan, who made 45, and Graham Swan, 30, not out. Meant that they got up to 330. Ryan Harris taking seven for 117. That set Australia a target of 299. You felt that England had too many runs there for Australia to chase, but they got off to a fantastic start when they were 109 for none. They were then 168 for two, with Dave Warner going well on 71, but Tim Bresnan came back to remove Warner, and then it was the Stuart Broad show 
He finished with six for 50 as Australia were blown away, losing their last nine wickets in the evening session uh, to be all out for 224. And England won the game in thrilling fashion by 74 runs. So what a finish, Tone. Uh, and it means that England, as I say, win the Ashes. Having retained them at Old Trafford, uh, they've now won them. It's their third Ashes victory in a row, their fourth in five attempts. Uh, and as I say, they, they sealed it in quite dramatic fashion. Now, last week, you were complaining that this series hasn't really caught fire, that it hasn't been that exciting. What about that, Tone? Was that exciting enough for you? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I mean, that final day was pretty special in many ways. Uh, I can't remember too many occasions in a test match where both teams look like they might win it on more than one occasion on the final day uh i was just flip-flopping well it's the fourth day but yeah the, the, yeah, okay, the final so the, day the, well, yeah what was the final day i mean uh so you know when we started he thought hey australia you know when they <clears throat> when they got prior out with the first baller you thought they won it uh then you thought i'm just gonna go through what i thought here <laughs> then you thought england had won it when they got all those runs uh you know late on then you thought Australia had won it when they were 100 and what, 100 and odd for naught, uh, and then England won it. And then you thought England had won it, and they had. <laughs> yeah. But do you not think that that's a, a it's like a, a Twitter mentality almost, isn't it? Like, and I fall prey to this as well. It's just so easy to be like, oh, it's gone, that's game over. <laughs> when Pryor was out, I was like, that is game over. And again, as you say, when, when Rodgers and Warner were together, I was like, that's game over. But that, that, that's the beauty of Test cricket, isn't it? That it does swing so wildly. Um, and it can happen so quickly. And I mean, it's that whole thing, is that of like, of, you know, it's, it's often repeated. You will hear a commentator say it possibly three or four times a day at a test match. Is you know, add two wickets to the score, and it's a different game. And it is, it's as true as they come in terms of cricket expressions. Well, and that, and I think it's boycott that that coined that. I mean, certainly he would claim that he, <laughs> he coined that. Uh, and there was a, a good quote from him after the game because I mean, certainly it was one of the most dramatic afternoons of cricket for quite a long time. I think that that, that I've seen. And um, Boycott, after the game on TMS, said, this is why Test cricket is the pinnacle. If you think 2020 is better than that, you're an idiot. <laughs> and I thought that was quite good. It reminded me of uh, Richard Dawkins said that science is interesting, and if you don't agree, you can f*** off. <laughs> I think that's, that's right. Test cricket is brilliant, and if you don't agree, then you can f*** off. I mean, as, we, as you say, there was so much, there were so many times where the momentum, the momentum changed hands. Australia were cruising at 109 for none and again at 170-odd for two. England needed something, didn't they, to, to spark them into life. And, and it came from Stuart Broad, but it also came from Tim Bresnan. Spectacular spells of bowling from both of them, I think. And, and rightly, Broad has taken the headlines, but Bresnan's contribution shouldn't be forgotten, both by applying pressure from the other end as well. But also, he did take two wickets. Shane Watson was an important wicket. And it was an absolutely sensational delivery to Dave Warner. And that is what shook England into life because it, it, it they looked very flat at that point, didn't they? But yeah, Stuart Broad does deserve all the headlines. I mean, can you remember him bowling better than this? He he did it, of course, at the Oval in 2009. And he's actually making a bit of a habit of producing Ashes-winning spells, which is not the worst habit to have. You know, maybe that spell at the Oval was more important given that the scoreline was one all then and, you know, England had to win that game. But I'm not sure that he he's ever bowled better than he did at Durham. I mean, he was just unplayable at times. I'm only quick as well, above 90 miles an hour. Yeah, I mean, he was tremendous. But again, it was, it was very much with Broad. It is as simple as just literally add a little bit to your length. Uh, and he becomes a really dangerous bowler. And he does do it 
periodically, doesn't he? Uh, he will now go through a period where, you know, in three months' time, you'll be calling for him to be dropped. But uh, at the moment, yeah, he's got to ride this, ride this crest of this wave because, uh, yeah, it was a great spell. What was it, 11 wickets in the match? Uh, can't really argue with that. I actually think Broad's been threatening to, to do something like this for a little while. Um, I thought he was England's best seamer in, in their victory at Lords, but he didn't quite get the rewards that maybe he deserved. We got a tweet, Tone, from um, you, uh, <laughs> which said, uh, who makes your composite 11 at this point, Broad or Anderson? Uh, and that's a very interesting question, Tony, and I thank you for posing it. I mean, at this stage, you'd have to say Broad, wouldn't you? They've got the same number of wickets. Broad's doing it at a better average. And as I say, I think Broad actually bowled really well in the games where he didn't quite get the wickets, whereas Anderson obviously had that fantastic game at Trent Bridge, but then hasn't necessarily bowled that well since then. Well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's taken seven wickets, well, seven wickets in three tests, which... You know, for and- I mean, clearly Anderson's a, a, a world-class bowler on his day, uh, but for whatever reason, he just hasn't been able to quite follow it up. Well, it was in probably the, the best form of his life at the start of this summer, Champions Trophy and uh, into Trent Bridge. And, you know, form can't last forever, can it? So you can forgive him a little bit of poor form, but it is remarkable to think that after Trent Bridge, we were discussing whether England are too reliant on Anderson because, you know, he he has been the weak link in the attack and they've won in the two last couple of games. Since and, then. Absolutely. In a way, is that encouraging for England, therefore, that you know, supposedly um, their only world-class bowler has, has not performed and they've, they've still managed to win two out of three games? Um, definitely. Uh, yeah, we said it after Trent Bridge that you know, Anderson clearly had an unbelievable match and was, uh, uh, was on fire. But you, know, you go back a couple of years and he hasn't done it that many more times than Broad, Swan, etc., in terms of dominating kind of 10 wicket 10 wickets in a match performances that sort of thing so good good news for England but not not necessarily that much of the you know not that different to what we've seen in the last 18 to 26 and a half months <laughs> yeah if you actually look at the statistics he's not he's not taking more five wicket hauls or more uh, wickets in general than than broader swan so as you say it, it, I guess the the in some ways the unusual thing was how dominant he was at Trent Bridge uh, yeah if you look at test matches starting uh, in the last two years Swan's got 101 wickets Broad's got 84 wickets both from 21 matches and Anderson who's played three more has got 87 wickets so they're all much of a muchness in many ways apart from Swan who is slightly more effective but then he does bowl more overs as exactly well, but he? so uh, you know both Broad and, and Swan have got a better average than Anderson in the last two years, and it is interesting. And that that's... And it's amazing that people is it just because Anderson's handed the ball first that people are like so convinced that he is the absolute out and out talisman. I mean, but, but he also he does also probably bowl better than than Broadmoor consistently. He doesn't always necessarily get the wickets. I mean, that's something that used to happen to Andrew Flintoff that he didn't necessarily get the wickets, but he bowled so well and put on so much pressure that he got wickets for other bowlers. And you could say that maybe Anderson is the same sort of thing. In fact, um, two other, just two other stats there. Uh, well, one other stat that's similar. So in three fewer matches in the last two years, Broad has taken six five-wicket hauls compared to Anderson's four and two ten-wicket hauls compared to Anderson's one. So there you go. These are the sorts of stats that you don't get from any other media out there. <laughs> no. This is behind the headlines. I didn't read these in the Telegraph. <laughs> I didn't, actually. They're all my own stats guru work there. Well done. So thanks. But I mean, it's it's amazing, isn't it? How you know, given those figures, and obviously, brought those figures take into account Broad's ten for here. So, you know, before this Test match, Broad was a few wickets behind Anderson, even further. But still, amazing that everyone was so glowing about Anderson. Not not on Julie, because he is a very good bowler, but at the expense of Broad and Swan. 
But yeah, this display from Broad was match running, wasn't it? And in a sense, that's a, a microcosm of, of how England have won this series. It's not necessarily been through a brilliant all-round team performance, but it's through match winning displays from their match winners at key moments. And those match winning displays have won the matches. Anderson and Bell at Trent Bridge, Swan and Bell at Lords, Broad and Bell at Durham. Obviously, there's a common theme there, which is Bell. This was his third hundred of the series. It's the 20th hundred of his test career. England have never lost a test match when Ian Bell has scored 100. And in this series, it's difficult to say which of those three was his best or his most important. This one, you know, England were, what, 49 for three when he came to the crease, only 17 ahead. And in real trouble. And, you know, the fact that they managed to set Australia a very challenging and in the end too challenging total is almost exclusively down to him. You'd think he's almost certainly going to be named man of the series, isn't he? But he's probably going to do that without winning a single man of the match award unless he wins it at the Oval. And as I say, that this innings was forged in very challenging circumstances. It was tough runs, wasn't it? And and this is this has always been a a thing about Ian Bell that he doesn't score tough runs. I saw I caught NASA saying <laughs> saying on Sky that oh there was this myth that Bell never scores tough runs and that's been well and truly put to bed now. Well, it wasn't a myth for a very long time. <laughs> It was a fact that Bell never scored tough runs, but it hasn't been true for the last four or so years since he came back into the team after being dropped. He has scored tough runs, and so if that myth did continue to exist, then it, it would be fair to say that it's been debunked now. Yeah, it's been a really wonderful performance, and if you could just go back to that time, and we mentioned it earlier in the in the summer, you know, when Bell, Bell went first ball to McGrath in 2005, if you could just go and whisper into his ear, you know, you'll, have five, you'll score 500 runs in four tests uh, in a few years' time. And the World Cricket Show will not only exist, but will be an episode like 190. <laughs> <laughs> like, he wouldn't believe us. <laughs> and he would be like, why are you telling me this? Like, sorry, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, I mean, yeah, top player. And, uh, you know, nice, nice story. Aside from him, though, there's probably no getting away from the fact that England's batsmen are struggling. I mean, if you take out Bell... I'm not sure they'd be 3-0 up uh, because no one aside from Bell is averaging above 40 and only Joe Root and Kevin Peterson are averaging above 30. And I thought England's batsmen looked extremely nervous in that first innings, much more nervous than a team that's 2-0 up in an Ashes series has any reason to be. And as we discussed last week, this isn't an entirely new phenomenon. The batting has been vulnerable for quite some time now. In the past two years, which is 24 test matches and 46 test innings, they've only passed 500 once. And they've only passed 408 times, uh, which is only one time more than they've been bowled out for less than 200. They haven't passed 400 yet in this series. They haven't passed 400 yet this summer, which is not a great record anyway. But it's also such a contrast to the period before that when they were churning out runs like they were going out of fashion. I mean, they, they, they got 517 for one in Brisbane. Well, I mean, they crucified the Aussie bowlers, didn't they, uh, in that last Ashes series? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen an England team. Well, I haven't seen an England team put on that many runs for the whole series it was unbelievable and, and the the key players then were Cook and Trot weren't they and they've done nothing to speak of in this series do you series. worry though for the Aussies now the fact that Cook and Trot haven't really got any runs this summer that they're due some and that you know they'll touch down in Brisbane and just tuck in and they'll be like exploding with runs well it's interesting I mean you could well say that you could say oh they're just they're both just out of form England are 3-0 up with their you know arguably their two most important batsmen being out of form Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Yes, therefore you fear for Australia in the return series that at some point they're going to come good. The other way to look at it is that maybe Australia have really done their homework on them. They've set very intelligent fields, I think, for both Cook and Trot. They've had uh, a short mid-wicket in place for Cook, which just cuts off his, his release shot, which is that sort of clip off his hips for one. He, he's not really been able to do that. With Trot as well, they've had the leg slip in place. They've had two mid-wickets. They've done it for other batsmen as well. I mean, Matt Pryor, they've had at times like three fielders in that backward point area, which is Pryor's shot, isn't it? The cut shot totally dried up his runs and put real pressure on those guys. And that, in a way, is quite reminiscent of another comparison to the 2005 Ashes, but the way that England took down a lot of Australia's batsmen in that series was having very specific fields, like having a you know, a, a sort of fly slip for Damian Martin and that kind of thing, and then they did it to Adam Gilchrist as well. Very specific fields, very specific plans, intelligent tactics, and it works. And I think that there is an element of that here, and they've bowled very well at them. But yeah, I think Cook is also just out of form. There's, there's no getting away from that. That's forgivable because he's been in sensational form for such a long time. But there will be a concern, will there not, that it might be a case of the captaincy affecting his batting form. It obviously hasn't been a problem for him up until now. He's scored loads of centuries as captain, but then he's not been under quite as much pressure as he is as an England captain in an Ashes series. Is that a worry for yes, you? Or not? It's possible, isn't it? Again, though, the kind of lending maybe further credence to my point before, getting an Ashes win under his belt, you know, he's not going to be under that much pressure when he goes down under now. The job isn't done, but certainly... Yeah, he's proved himself as much as you can prove yourself now. So, yeah, maybe there'll be slightly less pressure. Yeah, he's going back to somewhere where he scored ludicrous number of runs last time. So, well, that's possibly maybe true. Just that, click straight back into it. That's a plausible theory, Tony. Certainly, but I mean, there will be pressure on him going down under. England don't like being front runners, and I can sympathise with them. I, I, I would. I mean, I'm, I never am, but I, I wouldn't like to be a front runner. But uh, so I think there will be pressure on him down under, but there will be all the pressure will be off at the Oval. I think that will be interesting to see if he can go out and get a massive 100 at the Oval because he, he should be able to bat with more freedom there because it really doesn't matter what happens in that game. If England do lose that game, it'll be disappointing, but no one will really care. Whereas if they lose in Brisbane, people will care, so there will be pressure on him. I mean, it's an amazing, it hasn't been the best series, uh, and I've said it you know already this summer. It's, I've enjoyed it. I'm always going to enjoy Ashes cricket, but it's not been anywhere near 2005 and you know there nothing you go. is or ever yeah. will be so yeah so it's, the sooner we forget about 05 <laughs> probably the better but uh it is amazing just how i mean the kind of story of the series has been pretty uh remarkable really i mean you think how close england were to losing uh, that first match equally yes oh, no, what was it so equally on monday uh yeah it, twice it could have gone the aussies had duped me into thinking they were going to win uh and if they win that suddenly the over would have been a re- just ridiculous kind of powder keg wouldn't it it is a slightly misleading scoreline three nil isn't it it doesn't reflect how well australia have played because they really should have won at old trafford and they probably would have won had it not been for rain and they could easily have won trent bridge 
and Durham. It, but it is a weird one, isn't it? Uh, you know, the, as much as I think that, I also slightly think them getting so close in Trent Bridge was fluke, really. And you just feel, you know, again, you know, they, they weren't good enough in the end to win yes, uh, on Monday. I don't know. It, that's the beauty of cricket, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, sport that's, that, that's the bull game, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> have to be that big of a difference to be, yeah, between winning and losing. And absolutely, and, and England are undeniably a better cricket team than Australia, so the fact that they're ahead in the Ashes series is no surprise on it, and it's it's not unfair. But I think if I was an Australian fan, I would feel that 3-0 is possibly a little bit unfair. Just before we leave the England batting, I mean, we talked about Kirk Trot as well. It keeps looking like he's in great form, and it's, it's quite a, a different type of player seemingly where he used to get these very painstaking hundreds that bored everyone to sleep but he did get hundreds and they were so vital whereas now he's making runnable 20s and 30s <laughs> yeah. but then getting out um, and it makes me wonder whether maybe he's taken some of the criticism to heart a little bit um, and I hope that he puts it out of his head because I love the old Jonathan Trott uh, but the other thing as well of course is you know on that last Ashes tour when England's top three was just about the most solid going around in world cricket the other man in there was Andrew Strauss incredibly experienced He's been replaced in this series by Joe Root. Now, four tests into his career as an opener. You'd have to say that the jury is still out, wouldn't you? I mean, obviously, he got that magnificent 180 at Lords, but that is literally it so far. He had a double failure at Durham. I mean, to be fair, the ball he got in the second innings from Ryan Harris was, was unplayable, was, was the ball of the century until Stuart Broad's ball of the century the next day. Uh, but Root's just not looked comfortable at the crease, I don't think, at any point in this series, apart from that innings at Lords. And if you take out that innings, he'd be averaging 11. Now, that's obviously a silly thing to say, you know, because you could say, well, take out Sachin Tendulkar's 51 test centuries and he'd have a much lower test average. But I think you've got to be asking the question, is Joe Root really the right man to open for England? And, and it was a big story ahead of the series. Should it be Root or should they stick with Compton? I wanted them to stick with Compton. I was very sceptical of, of the decision to promote Root. And I think at this point, you'd have to say that it has been a mistake. I mean, England have got away with it, but it has been a mistake. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Especially with Bairstow at six as well, who, who was the other beneficiary of that decision. Well, I mean, it's, it is a really tough one, isn't it? You know, they, they'd comfortably be getting away with it if Trot and Cook were scoring big runs. Uh, but yeah, there is a little bit of pressure on Rio. As you say, the 180 was such a beginnings. But yeah, what is the, the rest reads 35, 6, 8, 13, 16, 2, which is nothing. Uh, and everyone's quick to point out as well that he was dropped, I think, on six or seven or something, wasn't he? Well, it wasn't dropped, but he edged it and Haddon just didn't go for it. Right. It went between Haddon and, and first slip. But if Haddon had gone for it, he would have taken it very comfortably. Well, and, you know, again, the reactionary media think that the day after the 180, people were calling him a once-in-a-generation cricketer. Well, Gooch was calling him that. Yeah, I mean, which, yeah, he may well be, and obviously he took wickets as well, and as everyone was like, well, what can't he do? But, yeah, maybe he does need dropping down the order. And you said, again, Bairstow... Probably harsh to say question marks because he hasn't gone on. He's got a series of 20s, hasn't he, effectively? He gets in every time and then gets out, uh, which can't be dissimilar to what Bell did. At, you know, they're pretty comparable, I'd say, in terms of how they, uh, they, how they kind of appear and, you know, what we used to think about Bell as being slightly affectable. Is that the word? No. <laughs> being slightly affectable. Uh, no, someone who can be affected by the, the opposition uh, and got at but clearly a very talented player that seems to be the similar situation to Bairstow, who at 23, though, has got plenty of time. Well, he does, but the, the thing about Bairstow, I think, is that he, he does have one or two glaring technical deficiencies, which is not something that you would have ever have said about Ian Bell. I mean, Ian Bell's got just about the best technique going around. It was always a, a mental thing with Bell. So Bairstow, I, I would question whether he is a long-term test match batsman. 
But Root, I think, is England's long-term Test match opener. But my question was, does he need to be the opener yet when Compton was doing really quite well? Uh, Best, I was very much a question mark at six and Root almost had to start again as a Test match yeah, player th- by being promoted. It seems like there's a pretty obvious solution, isn't there, for the fifth Test and that's to, to leave Best out, drop Root down to six and bring Compton in. They definitely won't do that, though. I mean, they've made this decision now. They're going to stick with it. But I would much rather have Compton there as opener when we go down under. Because you just feel Root at six is a strength for England. But Root as opener at best at six, that's two weaknesses. So, yeah, just the maths would suggest that's what (laughs) England should do. But I really don't think they will. The thing about this England batting, it hasn't been great. But you do have to say that Australia have bowled extremely well at them. As I say, they've they've had a very intelligent field set, but the, the bowlers have delivered on those those plans. And Ryan Harris in particular has been absolutely sensational. He's Australia's leading wicket taker now in this series. I'm not sure whether he'll be risked for the oval because they want to wrap him up in cotton wool um, ahead of the series down under, but he's certainly had a huge impact in the three games that he has played. The problem from Australia's point of view, though, is that as well as they've bowled and as clever as their plans have been, it's not been enough. You know, if they can't win while their bowlers are bowling as well as this and while England's batsmen are struggling as much as they are, when will they win? As well as the bowlers have bowled, the the Australian batsmen just haven't been good enough to support them. Yeah, um, it is. You know, Harris has arguably been the best bowler in the series, hasn't he? Uh, he's certainly got the best average. Yeah, it's going to sound patronising because it's much easier to like Aussies when they're losing. But, yeah, he's really likeable as well. I've really enjoyed watching him bowl. Uh, and you just he's just quite a cool guy. And I, you know, I saw quite a few tweets of people saying, you know, if, if all 11 players had his kind of just straightforward approach to cricket, quality and skill for one, and also kind of grit, you know, they'd be away. But they don't, do they? I think in general, though, the Australians have come across extremely well. In, yeah, Michael Clark, I love listening to Michael Clark, and he's, he's, yeah, it's been great. You know, would I be as enamoured with him if he was winning? Probably not. Definitely not. But probably, well, definitely not. But yeah, you know, fair play to the Aussies. There's not many, you know, Steve Smith aside, there's not many I don't really actually <laughs> don't like as kind of sportsmen and people at the moment. Very gracious losers. Yeah, um, you'd have to say. I mean, you could imagine, you know, the likes of kind of you know Merv Hughes, etc., listening to that and crushing their beer cans in their hands, thinking like, you know, English people saying, "Oh, aren't the Aussies gracious losers." It's probably about the most <laughs> offensive thing they could ever hear. Gracious losers. The key word there is losers, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, but you know, you know, it's been a good series, and the, the series down under is set to be a quality one, isn't it? Now, yeah, and, and the, this sort of uh, this subplot um, of you know England's batting struggles that is going to be extremely interesting to see what happens with that in Australia because if the Aussies are going to find a way to win back the Ashes, it, it's going to be by just blowing England away consistently because it, it seems like they're not going to you know, be going out and getting 500 on a regular basis. So whether or not Cook and Trot and Root, etc., can sort of conquer um, those those Aussie bowlers, that is, is going to be uh, you know, such a, a key element of, of this return series. And it's not a long way away, is it? It's, you know, they've not got much time to get fit. It's like 90-odd days, I think, a little over three months, if you want it in... Ooh kind of months steady on days uh you do worry don't you for the Aussie bowlers you know as you say before Harris injury prone Pattinson's gone I see Cummins has also picked up another injury has he yeah no yeah shock absolute shock so you know there are, are they gonna have any bowlers to pick yeah Ashton Agar do you remember him <laughs> earlier in the summer who <laughs> he might have to come back I feel like we, or particularly I, spent quite a lot of time criticising England there, which might be a little bit unfair given that they're 3-0 up in an Ashes series. 
I worry that I'm turning into Jonathan Agnew or something you know, <laughs> against New Zealand earlier this summer. England won a test match inside three days and just got a whole load of abuse <laughs> from the commentary box. But I think it is worth talking about because at this point, you'd have to say that Australia are no better than a, a middling test side, are they? And England would not get away with these batting failures against a team like South Africa. So while, yes, they should be very proud of, of the fact that they're 3-0 up, they should be uh, pleased with the way they've played, particularly with the way certain individuals have played, they shouldn't be complacent about the batting. It is something that needs addressing. I'm sure they won't be complacent, uh, but the fact that it's been going on for a little while um, is a little bit worrying. But let's give them some credit. We, you know, In the 90s, we were, I'd have probably murdered someone <laughs> if they, you know, if I'd been offered England being three 0 up in a in a home ashes series. Some like weird kind of scientific experiment, like where you can't see the victim and you just like murder, like someone in this room will die if you push this button. Yeah, three 0 Would that, you have done it? I'd have I'd have just kept pressing it, hammering, <laughs> mashing it. I've killed for so much less than that before, and I definitely have done it for that. So it's hard to really sit here and and just criticising them because they have played well and they've, they've now gone 12 test matches unbeaten and they've just been able to produce some some killer cricket at the times that it's mattered in this series. They, they know how to win test matches and they've done it three times. As and when they do start playing at their best, they're going to be one hell of a cricket team. There's one test to go then in this series. You'd say that the interest at the Oval is primarily going to lie in looking ahead to that series down under in a few months' time. Do you expect to see any changes in personnel for the Oval? Do you think England will rest some players? Do you think Australia might mix things up a little bit to try and try and get on the board? I don't really know. I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm glad. I, I'm glad we've got you uh, here. Well, yeah. <sighs> okay. I'll rephrase the question. Not do you. Not what do you think will happen, but what would you do? Okay. Uh, I'd probably play a similar looking team. I think from England's point of view, just sort of. Yeah, as I was saying before, it's not that long to go until Brisbane. Equally, it is three months to go until Brisbane, so uh, you know. Another good point. Thanks. So no, but so by which I mean, if they play another three or four days of cricket, it's not going to kill them, is it? So there's plenty of time to get ready. So yeah, you know, play them, get in their head. There's a lot of players there who will want to not finish the Ashes series with a rubbish average. I'm sure England will play the same six batsmen. No doubt about that. They might consider resting Jimmy Anderson, particularly given that he's not been bowling that well in these last few games. But the batsman, I'm sure, will stay the same. I mean, it, it's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? Like, if Johnny Bairstow had been born 20 years earlier or whatever, or, you know, if he'd, been, if he'd had this Ashes series in the 90s, he'd have been dropped after two games. Um, you know, it was someone like Ian Ward, who, you know, in 2001 came in, didn't really do a lot, got dropped, never played another test for England. If he'd been playing in this team, he'd have played all the games. Yeah. He'd have just got chance after chance. Bairstow will play at the Oval. Wasn't that London correspondent Gordon McRae tips Ian Ward to have a big Ashes in 2001? Not on the World Cricket Show. No, we weren't doing it back then. That's also why we use him really sparingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't forgotten that. He was absolutely convinced. He was, <laughs> yeah. he was adamant that Ward was going to have a huge Ashes series. Uh, that didn't really happen, but as I say, he, he just didn't get a chance because England were losing. Um, and it's a, it's a similar thing for Australia at the moment. Like Ed Cowan gets one game and gets dropped because Australia have to change things to try and force a win, whereas Bairstow will continue to get chances. Um, it's, it's an interesting sort of what-if, isn't it? It's one of history's great what-ifs. What if Ian Ward had been born 15, <laughs> 15 years later? Both of our scoreline predictions are still possible, Tony. You predicted, you predicted 3-0, I predicted 3-1. So you're rooting for a draw, you're rooting for the yeah, rain. bat out the game and then <laughs> fly over a few thunderstorms. And I'm, I'm rooting for an Aussie win. 
So neither of us looking for an England win in this game. Well, we're both pretty much spot on, aren't we? Well, we have been. Only one of us can be. I feel sorry that uh, yeah. I think for you, from your prediction's perspective, I feel sorry for it. Uh, in that yeah, you'd have expected Australia. Well, Australia probably might have got a win, one win from the from the four tests played. Thanks for your pity, Tone. I really appreciate yeah. it. Much like the meteors that are pummeling Earth's atmosphere at the moment, this episode of the World Cricket Show is burning up. <laughs> Have you had a good one, Tony? It's good. And everyone's watching it, seemingly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it, mate. Thanks for having me down. No worries. <laughs> Might even have you back next week, if you're lucky. I'll see what I'm doing. Before we go, we should definitely mention the women's ashes. Uh, the only test of that series um, is taking place at Wormsley. Was it one test series? Well, there's one test, and then there's three ODIs and three 2020s, and they all count in determining the destiny of the Ashes. Pretty cool. It's quite a cool system, actually. The test, the winners of the test match are awarded six points, uh, and then there's two points for each limited overs game. So effectively, there's six points for each format. A good idea, I think. We're three days into a four-day game, uh, and Australia are currently 64 for one in their second innings, leading by 81. It's been a, a, a quite an interesting game so far. Australia declared on 3.31 for six, uh, with Sarah Elliott making a century. Uh, and then England, well, it was an interesting innings. They were 113 for six at one point, uh, but fought back through a record partnership between Heather Knight, the opening batsman, who made 157, and Laura Marsh, who made 55 of 304 deliveries. That's a strike rate of 18. It was a pretty astonishing... Innings. I mean, if you don't think that Test cricket is exciting, you can f*** off, is what I would say. But yeah, so there's only one day left in the game, so by the time listeners are hearing this, it may well be over. So it's a draw three points each, then? I presume so, Tone, I presume so. But yeah, come on come on, the England girls. Yeah, and we should probably also mention uh, Dewan, India's Dewan. Who, Shikar. Shikar, who just scored 248 in a 50-over game. In, now, uh, I assumed... When I saw people talking about this on Twitter, I assumed that it was a four-day game. Yeah, well, uh, you would. I mean, it was it's South Africa A versus India A, and you you might be right to, but you were wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a fifty-over match. It's like a tri-series, I think, isn't it? That's right. He got two hundred forty-eight, and he was actually dismissed in the forty-fourth over, which meant that he came off disappointed <laughs> because <laughs> he didn't he, go on and make he, a big score. He, he, he was he had three hundred in his sights. He, this is the second highest score ever. In, in one-day cricket, in list-day one-day cricket. I think Ali Brown has the record. Am I right in saying that? Good uh, question. Wait, he scored, what did he score? 34s trivia. and 7-6s in that innings. I mean, some player... Admittedly, it was a, yeah, it's an A match, but it's not like he hasn't been doing it in other forms at the top level. I've just Googled Ali Brown. That's right, I'm, I'm quite right there, Tone. This is why I'm the host of the show. <laughs> he holds the record uh, for a list-A one-day score, 268, which he got in 2002. In, wait for this, a partnership of 286 with one Ian Ward. Look at that. The circle is complete. Yeah, this is like, it's it's all, like we planned this. It's all dovetailing now. Yeah. It's all going somewhere, Tony. This, this is why the listeners, you have to stick around to the end because it all, you know, you wonder, like, where are they going with this one? That doesn't seem to, make, <laughs> doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of it. But it all comes and in. And it the all end. makes sense when they start talking about Ali Brown. <laughs> um, anyway, I think that's about it for this week. Uh, have you had fun? Thankfully, uh, you know I've had a really great time. I'm actually I'm really tired this week. I'm what what you might call Tony tired, right? Having come straight from work to cricket and then straight from cricket to here, and it's now late. It's getting on a bit. How much time? time Not really had any food. 
had a couple of spinach falafels before we started <laughs> right. this, but that's about it. So, uh, so hopefully I'll be a bit less tired next week. Um, but between now and the next episode, if you like the show, then you might like to check us out on a little thing called the internet. Do you want to do this, Tony? Do you want to do the plugs? No, I'm probably happy for you to. I'm just packing up, mate. All right. <laughs> Red Bull can in the bin. Well, if you go to our online website, which is www.cricketshow.net, on there you can download the theme song and you can also find links to all kinds of other stuff, including Facebook, which it would appear is a website that Tony's on already. Uh, just swiping through his phone there. Facebook.com slash cricket show. Click the like button there. Suggest it to your friends as well both via the button that says suggest it to your friends, but also like with your mouth, suggest it to your friends. Follow us on Twitter, at Cricket Show is me, at Tony Cavur is Tony, T-O-N-Y-C-V-R-R. You can read his tweets, his consumer uh, complaints <laughs> to Barclay <laughs> Yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of working show listeners just like fascinated by, by, by you tweeting at Barclay Card. Yeah, I'm going to start just tweeting. I'm going to start engaging with brands on on Twitter more. Because, you know, you get stuff out of it, don't you? Send us an email as well, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. And the best thing by far that you could do is to write a review for us on iTunes. We really appreciate all of those. It does help us out in our quest for more listeners. (laughs) Quest for glory. Pushes us up the rankings and stuff. If you've not written us a review yet, what's your excuse? (laughs) But that's it for this week. Stay in school, everybody. We'll be back with more Ashes chat next time. Uh, Until then, that's all from me, and that's all from Tony Kerr as well. Sergeant Wacky is done for another week. Oh, God. Lance Corporal Lad. Do the banter, shall we? Do the banter. So, hang on. Tomorrow night meal. Thursday night. Uh, Possibly watch a movie or something. Something. Yeah, I've got out. something planned on Thursday. Friday, legs back. <laughs> just wait for me to suggest that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no I just didn't get out quicker. <laughs> Can you hear that? That's me wiping my beard. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get that Twitter hashtag going, don't we? What beard? Tony's beard. Well, what's, what's the what's the Paxman hashtag? I presume it's just Paxman Beard. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is Paxman Beard. Hashtag Paxman Beard. So we need to get hashtag Kerr Beard trending. Hashtag Kerr Beard. Okay, well, let's work on that. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 